0: Patiently for the Lord, he inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay, writes King David. He has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And then Lord God Bono sings that that line, (laughs) how long, Lord God? How long till many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord and join the song? Father, I thank You that they are singing the song in eternity. John sees every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing the song. But Lord, we sing the song and we look around and we think, how long till everybody sings it? God, I pray that even though we don't see others singing, we wouldn't stop singing. Your praise, Your glory, For you, Lord God, are good. Help us to sing it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our second sermon in this season of Lent, and our second sermon from Matthew chapter 26. With this picture, we knew the message last week. We are the harlot who becomes the bride, who becomes the mother of Jesus, that is, the church, which is us. We are the strange woman who loves the Lord when he seems to be good for nothing just good, like a baby in a manger, or a dead man hanging on a tree, or maybe just an idea. Maybe Jesus is just an idea for you, the mere idea of you, the longing here for you. You'll never know how slow the moments go till I'm near to you. That's Billie Holiday. She sounds just like me. And uh, that's also one of uh, our romantic favorites, Susan and myself. Well, anyway, in Matthew 26, verse 1, Jesus reveals that he will be delivered up to crucifixion, and the disciples think that it's a waste. They think that it's good for nothing. Then we meet this strange woman that dumps literally a fortune of fragrant oil on the head of our Lord. The disciples declare that the woman's act is a waste. It's good for nothing. But Jesus declares that it's the kalos ergon, the good work, the beautiful thing. Not that it's good for something, just good it's beautiful beautiful means good for nothing just good right like a sunset doesn't matter how you use it it's just good Matthew records that the act uh, it's like the first good deed. He, he records it as if it's the first good deed done by someone other than Jesus in all the Gospels, maybe even in all of Scripture. It's that important. The, the strange woman loves Jesus when he seems to be good for nothing, just good. And she does something that seems to be good for nothing. And Jesus calls it Good. Maybe she saw that Jesus loved her when she seemed to be good for nothing, just good. I mean, beautiful to Jesus. Jesus loved her and all humanity when we were good for nothing, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh. When we took his life, he gave his life. Jesus loved us when we seemed to be good for nothing. Jesus even loved his Father when his Father seemed to be good for nothing. He cried out, Why have you forsaken me? He thought that his Father had forsaken him. Isn't a God like that good for nothing? To Jesus, his Father seemed to be good for nothing, just good beautiful and so he surrenders to that great beauty crying out into your hands i commit my spirit jesus the son loved god the father when god seemed to be good for nothing and god the father loved Jesus the Son when Jesus seemed to be good for nothing. When, in the words of St. Paul, he who knew no sin became sin. It was then, in that moment, that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. Words are failing me here, but there's a moment when God the Father and God the Son both seemed to be good for nothing just good. A moment when they don't love for a reason, but love is the reason. A moment when neither is using the other, they're just loving the other. A moment when they are good for nothing, just good. And that's beautiful. A moment that reveals God is good for no reason. He is the reason. A moment that reveals God is one, two persons, or maybe three persons, and one substance. God is love. Love that will not stop and cannot be stopped. God is the beautiful one. And the strange woman does the beautiful thing. And last week I shared a moment in my life when I think I may have done the beautiful thing too. A moment that I had never shared publicly till last week. It was a moment when God seemed to be good for nothing because he didn't seem to work for me. My psyche, my world were being obliterated. They were being destroyed. And it was a moment when I seemed to be good for nothing to God because I was being defrocked. Defrocked and kicked out of the ministry. It was in that moment that I asked permission to pray, and I prayed, Father, forgive us all, and in that moment my wife had a vision of me crucified, and in that moment she also had a vision of Jesus walking into the room in front of everybody and taking me down from that cross. That moment was the worst moment of my life, and I think maybe the best. I think maybe it was and will forever be the beautiful thing. Last week we said that everything is arranged, that you and I would do the beautiful thing and never, ever, ever stop. So anyway, that's a summary of last week's message. That's the view from like 40,000 feet, and I know it's more than any of us comp- can comprehend. So let's go back, and, and I want to ask these three questions, and even if we don't comprehend, perhaps it will be comprehended. These are the three questions. What exactly is the beautiful thing? Why does Jesus like it so very much? And three, how can we do it? How can we do it too? Matthew 26, 1. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people." Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they, they were indignant, saying, Why the waste? This could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? for she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her or as a memorial from her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas, that's just the name Judah, he's representative of a whole nation, actually a whole ideal, actually human religion. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, it's very clear that the ugly thing is buying and selling Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, right? And the beautiful thing is this: this is an alabaster alabaster flask and uh, some anointing oil to equip you for the work of the ministry. We'll be selling these Sanctuary Denver Anointing Oil kits at the information center after the service and I know you're asking yourself how much does it cost well the price is dependent on your income mark tells us that this ointment was worth 300 denarii which was a year's fair's wage so if you're if a yearly wage for you is like fifty thousand dollars that's how much it costs, fifty thousand dollars the woman in our story is unnamed but John records that faithful Mary of Bethany did this same sort of thing a few days earlier. Luke records in chapter 7 that a prostitute did the same sort of thing too. So this is our, this is our respectable church lady edition, all right? And this is our prostitute um, edition. Uh, a prostitute would wear this around her neck, and then use the fragrant oil to apply her trade. So you purchase the one that feels most appropriate to you. Makes sense? So like Duncan, you'd probably want the second. You Get that gigolo thing going on. Anyway, either one, either one, either version will work. Just the same. That's, that's the amazing thing about it. But it's more than just oil, isn't it? It's more than just oil. You know that. You also have to dump the oil on Jesus' head. So the oil comes with an instruction book that comes in the kit. An instruction book explaining how to find uh, Jesus. Jesus said, whatever you do to the last and the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. So the instruction book comes with a list that will help you identify the last and the least of these. So for instance, you could take a walk down to the 16th Street Mall and just judge everyone that you meet, all right? And then after you identify the last and the least of these, you simply run up to them. Like, I don't know, some homeless guy or some kid That ran away from home whatever you run up to them break the flash dump the oil on their head and voila it's the beautiful thing isn't that beautiful well no that's not the beautiful thing that's the ugly thing and yet we'd like it to be the beautiful thing right that's religion this is a beautiful thing that's the Mona Lisa by Leonardo da Vinci. And we'd like to think that we could do the beautiful thing by purchasing one of these. <laughs> a Mona Lisa paint-by-numbers kit. We tend to think that a good person is a person that paints within the lines. And if, uh, if someone is a really, really, really good person, like a really good Christian, then they have just identified more lines and more numbers. Now paint by numbers might help you learn to paint mostly by teaching you that you really don't know how to paint and it's not really painting. When my kids were little they did some painting by numbers and uh, Susan and I have hung on to a lot of their artwork from that age and yet none of it is paint by numbers. Here's a beautiful thing Michelangelo's creation of Adam And here's a paint by numbers creation of Adam. Isn't that interesting? God is painting by numbers to create Adam. Is that how God creates Adam? Is that how God creates anything? Someone tells him what's good, and then he tries really hard to be good. He tries to paint within their lines according to their numbers. You know, when you complain that God isn't good, isn't that kind of what you're saying to God? God, you're not painting in the numbers and the lines that I've given you. Paint by numbers. Is that how God creates a beautiful thing? Well, obviously the beautiful thing is not simply dumping oil on someone's head. So back to our question, what exactly is the beautiful thing? We just read about it. How would you describe it? You can just, if you would, just yell out a name or a phrase or whatever. How would you describe what the woman did in Matthew 26? Love. Love. Honor. Honor. Adoration? Sacrifice? Sacrifice. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed? Those are all good words. So you keep asking yourself that question. I also made a list, and I think all your words are really part of, part of this list. This is my list. The beautiful thing. Number, number one, she gave what she had. This is the artwork that sits on my shelf right next uh, to, my, to my desk. My daughter, Elizabeth, drew it for me when she was about six. And uh, I think it's absolutely beautiful. Daddy and Elizabeth. This is a beautiful picture that's been hanging on my office door now for six years. Coleman uh, drew me this picture when he was about uh, five or six years old. An art critic uh, uh, might say that it was a waste, (laughs) that it was trash, that it was a waste of, of paper. And I would punch that art critic in the face and say, that's the beautiful thing. Stupid art critic. This is probably my favorite piece of literature. It's a little card that my son Jonathan gave me maybe 20 years ago. It's remained in my desk drawer to the lower right-hand side. I read it every now and then. It reads like this. I think of you first thing in the morning and last thing at night. The rest of the day I spend thinking about us. Happy birthday, Daddy, I love you. Love, John. And now the poetry. P.S. This card is telling the truth. (laughs) This is a beautiful uh, piece of precious pottery that sat in one spot on my shelf now for about 15 years. My daughter Becky made this for me when she was nine. If she gave me something like this today, I'd look deep in her eyes and I'd say, Becky, what is this crap? I mean, you are way better than this, Pecky. You're a great artist. You, I even, you're taking those art classes down at Red Rocks. So you're a great artist and you give me this? I mean, maybe when you're nine, but 25? No, I don't, I don't think so. So you may have great talents. Give him those talents. You may have meager talents. If so, give him those talents. He loves both the same. If you give him what you got. You may have millions of dollars. Give him what you got. You may have a widow's mite. Give him what you got. Your father in heaven doesn't really care what you got because he's already got everything. He, he doesn't care what you've got, but he would literally die for you in the hope that you might give him what he's got, what he, what you got. And by the way, that's what he's got because he gave you everything that you got. Long about 1968, I took an art class. I think it was after school. That means that my dad paid for the art class and he paid for all the supplies in the art class. Well, one day we made ashtrays. That's what you did in the 60s. You made ashtrays. And uh, you got to give them to, to who you wanted. We made the ashtrays by coloring these plastic tiles and melting them around a coffee cup. I remember working so hard on my ashtray. I made one size I made one side uh, Paisley, and on the other side, I uh, made these signs. Stop. To Dad. Bye-hi. Hello. (laughs) Like I was saying, it's the 60s, all right? That's the kind of thing you did in the 60s. But I was so excited to give this to my dad. didn't even occur to me that he didn't smoke. (laughs) And better yet, I don't think it occurred to him that he didn't smoke. The ashtray sat on the corner of his dresser from 1968 to March 8th, 2004. Two weeks ago, Carl shared how he saved his allowance for two months, went down to the drugstore and bought a bottle of cheap uh, cologne or aftershave for his stepdad and how his stepdad Didn't even seem to notice Well this is the gospel truth God is Carl's true dad And I believe that God has a dresser And on the dresser is a bottle of precious Cheap cologne Given to him by his son Carl Wheeler Almost 50 years ago he loves to wear it. To him, it is the most beautiful, fragrant, of, fragrance, fragrant offering of, of, all, of all the offerings. See, I'm trying to say that even a bad dad, especially a bad dad, helps us long for our true dad, our, our father in heaven. So I'm just saying, give what you have. She gave what she had. Give what you have. Maybe you're like Mary of Bethany, a faithful disciple in John chapter 12. Maybe you're like the prostitute in Luke 7 who had used her perfumed oil to cover the smell of prostitution. And so she wore that ointment as if she was wearing shame she wore it as shame will give either in fact you can always give both the burnt offering and the sin offering uh, good deeds and the confession they are both fragrant offerings the fragrant offering treasured by God she gave what you have she gave what she had and and you can always give what you have that means you can always do the beautiful thing. It's not something that you wait to do. It's not something that you can earn. It's always now. Eternity touches time right now. She gave what she had. And number two, she gave all she had. She didn't carefully pour out 10% of the ointment. Asking, Lord, is that a sufficient amount? And is that before taxes or after taxes? Well, is, is this the correct amount? She gave all she had. So, In some way, it must have been painful. For someone like Mary of Bethany in John 12, 300 denarii might very well have been all of her disposable income. For someone like the prostitute in Luke 7, the perfumed oil would have been all of her shame, all of her fear, all of her pride, all of her self-reliance. And so it, it was painful, it was painful, but it appears that all of the pain was utterly eclipsed by joy. There's this great line in The Lord of the Rings, Uh, Tolkien uh, Tolkien writes it after Frodo has thrown the ring of power into Mount Doom uh, and they're preparing and it's about the ensuing celebration. He writes this, they went out to regions where pain and delight flow together and tears are the very wine of blessedness. I think that's what a woman must experience when she gives birth. And the sorrow is transformed into joy. I think maybe it's even what I've tasted in communion in the sanctuary of my covenant with my bride. And even in my covenant with Jesus, moments in worship in which I've been lost and found all at once. It was painful and it was joyful. Number five, it was Sacrificial. It was sacrificial. The king was anointed, like we said last week. The high priest was anointed. And one other thing was anointed. In Exodus 30, Moses is commanded to make this strange, costly, fragrant oil in order to anoint the tabernacle. And everything that was in it, uh, the tabernacle that became the temple, uh, and uh, included the altar. He was to anoint the altar of sacrifice. He's even commanded to make a special incense that they would burn on the altar of incense next to the altar of sacrifice. So when the priest would offer the lamb for sacrifice, the fragrance would fill the whole house of the Lord. John records that when Mary anointed Jesus' feet, the house was filled with fragrance. See, that's a very meaningful statement in the Gospels. The strange woman's worship is fragrance. And it's fragrant. Fragrance infects everything with beauty. In Ephesians 5, 2, Paul writes, Christ gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And he also writes, in the same way, we are to walk in love as he loved us. Well, she gave sacrificially. And number six, she gave unselfconsciously, as if herself was being sacrificed upon that fragrant altar. Have you ever been so excited about giving to someone that you forgot yourself? The day I bought Susan's engagement ring was like that for me. (laughs) I just wanted to spend more. I wanted to spend everything I had, and I did. I spent all my student loan money. When David worshipped before the Ark of the Covenant it was like that. He lost track of himself. He even lost track of most of his clothes as he danced before the Ark of the Lord in his linen ephod, his underwear. When Solomon dedicated the temple it was like that. They offered 22,000 bulls and 122,000 sheep that day. There would have been a literal river of wine, fragrant oils and blood that flowed from the temple mount flooding the valley of Gehenna and descending down into the Sea of uh, Ereba, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Waste. That river would flow every Passover, including the day after the strange woman anointed Jesus' head. Every Jew on Passover would bring their lamb, or every family would bring their lamb, to the temple to be ritually slaughtered. That's thousands upon thousands thousands of lambs. The river of lamb's blood would flow from the temple of stone. It would flow as a river, and the river would flow from a temple of flesh, sacrificed on an altar that was a tree in a garden, the altar that we refer to as the cross. To Julian of Norwich, in her famous vision, it's reported that Jesus said this, To have ever suffered the passion for you is for me a great joy, a bliss, an endless delight. And if I could suffer more, I would do so. Number five, she gave sacrificially. Number six, she gave unselfconsciously. Number seven, she gave naturally. I mean, she gave as if giving were her nature. Judas was seeking the knowledge of good and evil, and so he judged the gift. Judas was trying to be good. The strange woman was not trying to be good. She just was good, as if the good was already her nature. Number seven, she gave naturally, and number eight, she gave personally. She gave to a person. Jesus wanted to give to the poor— Jesus said, the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. And yet in a few chapters he will say, lo, I am with you always. Maybe he always has us, but we do not always have him. We always have the poor. And we can always give to the poor as Judas. But it's something else to give to Jesus in the poor, as if the poor were his very temple, his body. For Judas, the poor were a problem to be fixed. For the strange woman, the poor was a person to be loved. Judas would give to the poor, the strange woman gave to a person in a temple of broken body and shed blood. Welfare, welfare is for a purpose, Mother Teresa used to say. Christian love is for a person. The strange woman gave to a person, and she gave her person. A person is an earthen vessel containing the breath of God. A person is just like an alabaster flask containing priceless, fragrant oil. The alabaster flask must be broken, writes Watchman Nee. If the alabaster flask is not broken, the pure spikenard will not flow forth. Strange to say, many are still treasuring the alabaster flask, thinking its treasure exceeds that of the ointment. On the tree in the garden, Christ's body is broken and blood spills out. The life is in the blood. In other words, the breath is in the blood. The spirit is in the blood. At Simon the leper's house, a strange woman breaks the earthen vessel. Mark points that out, that she breaks the alabaster flask and and the fragrant oil spills out. Listen to Paul. He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, but He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Number nine, it was ecstasy. Ecstasy comes from the Greek word ecstasis, meaning out of stasis, out of normal, and lost in wonder as if in a trance. The strange woman is in ecstasy, and it's not a waste but she is wasted. She's not drunk with the wine, but she's filled with the Spirit. She's losing herself. She's losing herself and finding herself. She's pouring out the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit all at once. The beautiful thing is sacrifice and ecstasy. I think that's what the mystics are trying to tell us. Mystics like... Julian of Norwich, and St. Francis of Assisi, St. Francis said, "'Blessed is he that expecteth nothing,' as if God were good for nothing. "'Blessed is he that expecteth nothing, for he shall enjoy everything.'" I suppose that St. Francis was beginning to see that everything is and always was absolute gift. So when God gives, and even when he takes, it's all gift. For God keeps your every sacrifice like a treasure placed upon his dresser. Francis sacrificed all and gained God and all things with him. In his biography of St. Francis, G.K. Chesterton writes this, It is rather like the reversal whereby a lover might say at first sight that, that a lady looked like a flower, and say afterwards that all flowers reminded him of his lady. I see your face in every flower, your eyes in stars above, the very thought of you, the mere idea of you, my love.
1: Do
0: you realize that Jesus is the idea of God? behind every flower, and he is the idea of God communicated through every flower to you. Perhaps if we learned to love him when he seemed to be good for nothing, we would see that he's the good in everything and that everything is telling us, I am good for you. So arises out of this almost nihilistic abyss the noble thing called praise," writes G.K. Chesterton. And then he continues, Francis desired even in his death agony to lie bare upon the ground, to prove that he had and that he was nothing. And we can say with almost as deep a certainty that the stars which passed above that gaunt and wasted corpse stark upon the rocky floor had for once, in all their shining cycles around the world of laboring humanity, looked down upon a happy man. So happy are you when wasted, when you know that you are good for nothing, just good, In the eyes of God who thinks you're beautiful you know that he loved you and actually uh, he created you when you were literally nothing the illusion that you could create yourself and somehow earn his love is patently absurd to finally see that is to lose yourself and find yourself in ecstasy a little child loves his father when his father constantly works for him, and so the thought of earning his father's love never enters the child's mind, and so all the child's artwork is beautiful. An old saint loves his father in heaven when his father in heaven does not seem to work for him, and he can no longer work for his father, but they each love each other, for they are beautiful. In the second century AD, Rabbi Akiva was tortured to death at the hands of Romans because he wouldn't stop teaching the scriptures. It's said that he was jubilant as the Roman soldiers burned his flesh with the hot irons. The Roman governor, Rufus, asked Akiva at one point if he was a sorcerer since he seemed to not even feel the pain. I am no sorcerer, replied Rabbi Akiva. But I rejoice at the opportunity now given me to love God with all my life. Before that moment, he could love God for his life. But in that moment, he could love God with all his life. When God was no longer good for something, like giving him his life. When God was no longer good for something, but just good, beautiful. I think that's what I was trying to say last week when I described my trial before the presbytery of my denomination and the moment they judged me and took my life away the moment that I prayed Father forgive us all the moment Susan saw me crucified and the moment she saw Jesus come in and take me down I have seen that as the worst day of my life a terrible unconscionable waste and yet I'm beginning to see that, his, that it has always been an invitation to ecstasy, that is the beautiful thing. All your suffering is an invitation to ecstasy, an opportunity to love God when he seems to be good for nothing, just good. It said that Rabbi Akiva died reciting the Shema, that's Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one, and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. It said that Rabbi Akiva died with the word one protracted, protracted on his lips, the word one. God is one, he is pure love. And in that moment, perhaps Rabbi Akiva's love was pure. Purity of heart is to will one thing, writes Kierkegaard. Mark points out that the strange woman's ointment was pure. In other words, it's free. The beautiful thing is free. I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. Proud. You know, it's very good to be grateful for soldiers that fight for for freedom, but do we even have a clue as to what freedom is? In America, we tend to think that freedom is never having to suffer one of these. In scripture, freedom can only happen if you pick up one of these. Most Americans believe that freedom is an inalienable right. So it's the freedom to choose Coke or Pepsi, right, at 7-Eleven. It's the freedom to choose a Whopper with cheese or a Whopper without cheese. We believe that we're born free. And in one sense, we are born free, but we're not born free to choose the good. Because we don't know what it is. So most folks would say, okay, fine, fine, got your point, pastor. Um, We're free, we're free once we gain the knowledge of good and evil and therefore can choose between the good and the evil. Soren Kierkegaard wrote that a focus on freedom of choice as such means the sure loss of freedom. And I think we each know almost intuitively what he means. As, As long as a singer is reading a score and constantly deliberating over every note, he is not really free to sing, and he is not really singing. As long as a dancer is conscious of every step, she's not free to actually dance, and is not really dancing. As long as you justify yourself with your knowledge of good and evil, as long as you try to be good, you're not free to actually be good. As long as you paint by numbers, you're not beautiful. The strange woman was not painting by numbers. That's what's so strange. The strange woman was not painting by numbers. She was not constrained by law. No one had told her, hey, you really ought to do this. You know, the law says it's a good thing to break a flask and dump the oil all over Jesus' head. No, she was not painting by numbers. She was beginning to dance a tune that only she and Jesus could hear. She was beginning to sing a song, an ancient song, and yet forever new. She willed one thing. She wasn't divided, wondering, should I anoint or should I not anoint? What's good and, and what's evil? We think we're free once we can judge the good and the evil, but the good is God's will, God's Word, God's judgment we think we're free once we can judge God's judgment but according to the gospel we can only be free once God's judgment has judged us Once God's judgment has broken our earthen vessel, our alabaster flask, our arrogance, our pride, our false self, the old man broken that thing that's constantly calculating and bargaining and justifying and striving and worrying and manipulating, that thing that's constantly asking, ah, should I choose A or should I choose B? And if I choose A, what will happen? And if I choose B, what will happen? If I choose A, what will God do to me? And if I choose B, Ooh, ooh, what will he give to me? That thing that does not love but constantly judges love. If you're proud to be free, you're not free but a slave to pride and the devil's most subtle deception. Freedom is not judging love. Freedom is being judged by love conquered by love constrained constantly by love the beautiful thing is to be one as God is one the beautiful thing is to love in absolute freedom so how do I do the beautiful thing <laughs> if I make myself love aren't I just When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. wonder how many had dipped their hand in that dish. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been literally beautiful. It would have been beautiful for that man, which could refer to Judas or Jesus, if he had not been born. What Judas will do is the opposite of the beautiful thing. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. He had already said it's a waste. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, this is, this is my body. And in the same manner, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. That's a fascinating statement when you consider who was sitting at that table. Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The hymn that the Jews would sing and still sing at the Passover is the Hillel, which is Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. It ends with this line, the most repeated line in all of Scripture. O oh, give thanks to Yahweh, the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Hased olam. It means His love is eternal. It's absolute. It's pure. It's undivided, without limit, and therefore free. Absolutely free. Our judgment was to crucify love. And love's judgment was to keep loving. That's God's judgment. To be himself. Always. When we see it, we'll sing that old song. But in countless new ways. And we don't only see it, we, we ingest it. God is saying, do your worst and I will reveal my best. I will remain love. And this is how much I love you. My body broken, my blood shed. You get the picture? Eat it! And then paint it. Children, consume my love and paint me a picture. And then he hands you this And this terrifies us, doesn't it? Why? Because there's no numbers There's no lines It's freedom For freedom Christ has set you free Stand fast, therefore, writes Paul, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, there are an infinite number of ways to paint a blank canvas and paint that canvas so that none of the paintings are ugly. But none of those paintings will be paint by number. None will be constrained by lines and numbers and law, but all will be constrained by beauty. Robert Benson writes, on the wall of one of the cathedral bays at St. John's Cathedral, there is an inscription carved into the stone, Thy will be done in art as it is in heaven. Amen, I say and in plumbing, and paper pushing, and publishing as well, and in teachering, and board membering, and doctoring, and bricklaying, for that matter, or in whatever else it turns out is the work that you and I are given to do by the one who is looking forward to seeing our stone in the long-awaited cathedral. The cathedral is, is, is a temple, and we are the living stone. So how do you do the beautiful thing? Well, at the table of the Lord, we not only see the judgment of God, we not only ingest the judgment of God, we are impregnated with the judgment of God. The promised seed. Jesus is the judgment of God in flesh, and we are his temple of flesh, his bride. We give birth to the beautiful thing, and the beautiful thing is us. That's number 12. It is who we truly are. My father died 13 years ago last Wednesday. Late that night, the day he died, which may have been early the next morning, I remember my mom, she said to me, Peter, is there anything that you want, that you want to Take in memory of your father, whatever you want. And immediately I thought, yes, there is one thing. Immediately I went uh, to the dresser, and there it was, just where it had been sitting for 35 years since 1968 our ashtray. It may be my greatest possession, it may be my greatest treasure. For I gave it to my Father, and he treasured it as his greatest treasure. So check this out. What I gave is my greatest possession. Jesus said that we can store up treasure in heaven. We do it by worshiping our Lord in the temples that are all around us. We do it by worshiping him right here and uh, right now. God does not paint by numbers, but he creates all things with this. Dark cups are wine, light cups are juice. Commune with the beautiful one, and you will do the beautiful thing.
1: And I stand, I stand in all of you. I stand, I stand in all of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand. Stand in awe of you.
0: So close your eyes if you would. The strange woman worshiped Jesus when he seemed to be good for nothing, just good. And the strange women showed up at the cross, and the strange women showed up at the tomb to anoint his body, his dead body. That's good for nothing. Just good. Sometimes for me, God seems to be good for nothing. disappoints me. I ask him for things and he doesn't grant them when and where I want him to grant them. I suffer. And yet, at least a part of me still loves him. When he seems to be good for nothing, just good. I'm the strange woman. And you here this morning, you're also the strange woman. The church is a strange woman. We love the creator when he seems to be good for nothing. Just good. And so we sing, you are beautiful. that he also sings over you. That's what what scripture says. Even when you seem to be good for nothing, he sings over you. Because he knows who you truly are. And he admires his own artwork. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. Just keep your eyes closed. Do not sing, but listen to Jesus uh, sing. He, He may sound a little bit like Vince, but I believe this is Jesus singing over you.
1: grace is due. I stand in all of you. Now as the church, let's sing this back to God, and we stand. And we stay.
0: is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things new. Write it down, for these words are trustworthy and true. In Jesus' name, Bride of Christ, believe the gospel
1: and do the beautiful thing. Amen.